The players don't align with how I coach. We recruited the antithesis of the way I coach with speed, quickness, fundamentals, strength, and toughness. It's a good group. They try hard, but they're just not very tough. <laughs> that was the most saving. They try hard. Yeah, they're, they're nice, nice kids. They're nice guys. They're they just, they just really hard. They're just not good at basketball. That's that's. And I love that he said, we've lost a season when I recruited these kids. That's really when all this went down the drain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in SP and Russ's Untitled College Football Podcast. How do your President's how Day Mondays feel? Too. Yeah, how do your all-star all-star weekend off-season? How does the off-season feel? Strictly college football speaking. Um we're talking non-college football. We are coming off the All-Star weekend last night. The All-Star game is officially dead. If it wasn't dead already, boy, is it dead now. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. Like, or it's, it, it, look, All-Star weekend, NBA, always has been for kids. But I can personally, as a basketball fan, speak to appreciating it from 2000 till about 2013, 14, 15 even. 16 maybe even um so like a 16 year run of i know what this is i know it's high level pickup exhibition basketball just talking about sunday night we could talk about saturday night separately but i know what it is but there was always an element of both teams felt the requirement to keep the game close enough showcase your skills lobs open core alley-oop shoot from deep, all that stuff. But it was also both teams need to keep it close enough so that in the fourth quarter we have a competitive basketball game. And now we're gonna, try to win. we're gonna actually yeah. try to win. Like that was the unspoken rule amongst all stars going back to the mid eighties, carried through to the two thousands was we give these people a show for three and a half quarters, but then the fourth quarter it's win- it's winning time. Jordan, Kobe, Magic, Bird uh Shaq, LeBron after him, KD, like we those guys set the tone for all-star games of fourth quarter we're trying to win. Like straight up. Like we, we'll we'll play games, but then let's play basketball in the fourth quarter. That part is completely dead now. Like the 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 fourth quarter, they don't even do that anymore. And it's because my here's my theory. I'd love to hear your theory on it. I think today's players the younger ones, right? The next generation. So like LeBron and Steph and KD and Dame and Giannis even, those are the oldest people in the All-Star game now. Like those are the old heads. Like Dame was the oldest player on the Eastern Conference team, which is crazy, but that's where we're at. The young guys, I think they are too, like they are the generation of don't try because if you try, you might fail. 
and trying isn't cool. What's cool is not caring or just like kind of just being whatever about it because then no one could say anything about, you know, no one can clown you. No one can internet shame you. If you don't try that hard, if it's just whatever, then the whole thing just becomes whatever. And that's kind yeah, of I can't what get crossed from not paying defense. Yeah, I can't get I, dunked on I can't if I don't get jump. Dunked. Right. I can't I can't get beat by you know all-star A insert name here, my rival. Right. Like it's I think it really did become and I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly when this happened. I could try to pinpoint it, but I just think the the newer generation, because now what we're having a conversation, how do we fix it? How do we change it? What do we need to do? All that that all those conversations piss me off because it's like, I'm sorry, are we, we're, we're trying to figure out like how to incentivize basketball players to play basketball. Like I just, that was never an issue before. Like we never had to figure out how do we get Michael Jordan to care about this? How do we get Kobe and LeBron and Iverson and McGrady? How do we get them to care about this? Like that was, we didn't have to conceive ways to care the pride was there the competitiveness was there the we want to win this game was enough like and we've lost that and that like that's the only thing i could really pinpoint is just a newer generation of like trying isn't cool because you might fail and if i don't try then i can't fail and therefore no one can clown me like that's that's what i think it is <sighs> yeah i've been thinking about how to say that sound like a an old guy that's always railing on Generation Z, but I mean, there's probably some of that. Mm -hmm. To be honest, mm -hmm. and I, you're right. Just they're not, you know. This generation <laughs> is grew up on AAU and social media, and just like mm -hmm. this is what these games are. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm gonna. This is the time I can do all of my all of my worst habits. Yeah. Dribbling, half-court shots. Just whatever. You know. Yeah, and With, it's not, not playing defense at all. Yeah, and two, I think the best part of what the All-Star game used to be was it was almost like, and I, this, is, don't, this is no offense in any direction, but it was almost like wrestling or a choreography, coordinated fight scene or dance uh, the first three quarters in that no one wants to get hurt right the, we're, the, there's no plays we're kind of just playing free basketball so i'm not gonna let you score but we're also not going to like the, the 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 fans aren't here to see four quarters of like traps and drop coverage on pick and rolls and like they're not that's not that's not what they're here for so like if you get a step on the dribble okay like if you're about to go for the dunk let them let them show out we're not gonna we're not gonna try to block we're not gonna put them on the ground uh, but it always looked like, you know, it's still basketball, right? Like the, it was still, it wasn't just like, Hey, give him the ball. You do whatever you want. All right. Next time up, I'm going to do whatever I want. And no one else is like really actually playing a game. Um, and like, this is not to knock these guys in particular, but two of the five best players in the world don't care at all about this game. Luca and Nikola Jokic don't care at all about the All-Star game. Like, not even a little bit. Um, Nikola Jokic barely cares about the NBA. Uh, so to ask him to care about exhibition is, like, he's just like, what What are we doing? What is this? 
Um, why don't we get break for All Star? I have to play game during All Star. This makes no sense. Um, Which is actually a good point. Like this is also a manifestation of the season being too long, and their teammates are at home chilling and actually taking a vacation. Right. And so yeah, you want me to play more basketball in a season that's already probably fifteen to thirty games too long to begin with. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Yeah. So I get there's there's the element of that. They've tried to extend it so that they now get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like they 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 put more days in the break. <clears throat> Although they run the games right up to Friday, whereas I think I feel like they used to give them like yeah, the, the day before. Like... Yeah, they were playing games Thursday, and they were like, "All right, get your ass there for Friday night because some of y'all are gonna play in the Rising Stars." Um, but yeah, I just it, it's it's gone the way of the Pro Bowl for me in just that. The Pro, the Pro Bowl, Bowl should not be played. Right, that the Pro Bowl is just like, no one should play it because this is like, we don't want to, they moved to flag football because the whole thing is after NFL season, nobody wants to play football and potentially get hurt. Not even get hurt. Feel sore, get hit, do all this for what? Like it was, so they realized, absolutely like, nothing. we got to change the Pro Bowl. The, the All-Star game is going the way of the Pro Bowl. I'm not saying we need to now make it just like a one-on-one or a bunch of three-on-three teams. But they're going to have conversations about changing it up every couple of years if it keeps being this bad. Just because if y'all don't really care or don't look like you care, then why are the fans supposed to care? Right. So I turned the game off somewhere around the third quarter. I was just like, all right, cool, Dame. I've seen Dame shoot from half court before. It's, all, it's, it's amazing. It's great. Um, but also... He's an NBA player being just given the ball and being like, hey, shoot from half court, see if you make it. I, what are we doing? Like, there's a, you would see, like, yes, Dame's second best shooter of all time. Steph could do it too. But if we're just doing NBA players shoot from half court to see who can make it, like, I'm, I'm good on that. I don't need that. Yeah. I think if since, you know, the league's about making money, it's about capitalism, et cetera, like, just, it's an advisor, like we used to do, like baseball does. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like the is it Elon, the Elon endings. I really like that. So if you want to do conferences like we went back to yesterday, mm-hmm. do conference splits, have a purse for the winner, mm-hmm. and you really want to get more controversial like baseball, the conference winner gets the host NBA gets, Finals. Gets, yeah, gets home field, which – and how they do it, so how you would then have to do it for the NBA, because how they do it in baseball is because the All-Star game has impact on the actual postseason, every team gets a representative at the All-Star game. All 30 teams are represented in the All-Star. NBA should do that too. You should have it where every team gets an All-Star. Everyone has to get a minimum amount of minutes on the court. Then it's up to the coach after that. Um and yeah, winner winning conference. Forget your record during the regular season, since the whole goal is the regular season. We're trying to make that mean more. How about make this one game mean more? Make it for home court, which I know they would never do, right? Because people in baseball hate. It's like why is the All Star game the determining factor? We play a hundred forty some games. And then it doesn't matter what the overall records are at the end of the season. Whoever won this little spring summer classic thing is the host. Like I some people, it. some people baseball. Too. Yeah, some people baseball hate it. 
But I think our both of our points right now is the NBA is going to – the players are going to force all these discussions on, like, we got to try this, we got to try this, we got to try this. They're going to force it because what had been a thing that had worked really well for, like, 40 years, right, legitimately from the late 70s to the mid to late 2000s, All-Star Weekend was one of the best – it was the best. Of all the pro sports, they did All-Star Weekend the best. Absolutely. Saturday night was amazing, and then Sunday night you got what was the world's greatest pickup game, and then in the fourth quarter, the 12 best players in the league are playing, or sorry, I'm thinking wrong sport, 10 best players in the league on the court playing for like a game that they all want to win, and there's nothing, there used to be nothing like seeing that, right? That's not what it has become anymore, and so they're going to have to, people are going to suggest all types of things to change it, and it all sucks to me because it's all stemming from how do we incentivize these basketball players to play basketball? Like, and so, and I'm not, again, to not want to sound like the old head, but it's just like, what happened to just, we love hooping. So let's hoop. And there's some money on the line. And, you know, I don't like losing. Right? There is something, you said AAU culture, which set me off because I'm like, the AAU culture, we played AAU in a way that it was like, you don't change teams all the time. And winning was important. If you didn't win, you got sent home. Our parents hated when our teams lost because they had to drive. We came out here for nothing. We had to drive back home. It was a really long drive. Most of the pregame talks were, don't make us drive all the way up here to get sent home in the first day. The new AAU culture is, you're going up, your team has four games guaranteed no matter what. You play every two hours. They're just rotating. It doesn't matter what the records are of the teams at the end of the game. There's no championship. It's literally just an exhibition of individual talent. And so I feel like that the crazy thing is, culture is, is oftentimes <laughs> care more about that than they do about their own high school yes, games. Yes, they do. And that's the thing. I was going to say, that's it's a corrosive, toxic culture because it – is replaced high school, right? It is the the more important thing to them is that AAU circuit. It's where the scouts are. It's where the connections are. It's where the highlight tapes are coming out of, um, in part because the competition is more easy to judge, whereas some high schools, it depends on what class you're in. But it, it is becoming like... National, national media is. Yeah, and it, it, but it is becoming a problem in the sense that high school is more similarly aligned with college, which is more similarly aligned with the pros, which is that... Your regular season, one team grind going through a schedule and how much you win is about your playoff seating and then the playoffs are a different level of intensity. Like that whole thing is built in high school. If you just if 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 you're more focused or more of what you're bred on is off the AAU circuit, which is just I go to these gyms every Saturday and I'm going to get mines. Like, it's not, I don't, whatever our team, like, who's keeping a score? Who cares what the records of our AAU teams are? These Like, that's these days. We used to care, but that's now. This is like, whatever, like, records, championship, the AAU finals. Like, that's not where it's at. Where it's at is get my highlights, get my highlight tape, get my views, get to the school, get the NIL, get so, but that whole thing is just so individually focused that it leads to a culture of just like, it's not about team. And then you have to learn the team aspect of it at an older age. And I just feel like that's, you know, 
I didn't think we'd talk about this this much, but that's a it's it's that's a it's a toxic path that basketball in general. I think it's why the men's game is trash right now. I think it's it's and it it's it hasn't impacted the NBA in that way yet, but it's it, you start to see cracks in a, in an armor before it all falls off. So just something to keep an eye on. Well, the, the last thing here that I, we didn't talk about yet is I think some of this may be irredeemable because of the people. Um, there's things we could do around the rules that can help incentivize, but it's still about like players deciding to play ball or not. And right. what we were saying before about the culture, I will never forget. I say I never forget because I actually don't remember the year, but there was a year where it was um, each team being led by Stefan Marbury and Iverson. And it was a similar thing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was 2001. 2001 yeah. in Washington, D.C. Same thing. They're playing around for three quarters. And then, like, the fourth quarter ended up being one of the most competitive uh, all-star it, games of all time. They were down to the wire. I think it went to overtime. Well, the East, came, they asked, the East came back. The East came back, they were, right? they were down 20. There was this, I think it's still the biggest yeah. deficit in all-star history, if I'm not mistaken. After three quarters, mm -hmm. like we said, after three quarters, they're just playing around. I, I, behind the efforts of Stephon Marbury and Allen Iverson, the East was like, yo, we got to, like, let's do this. And they came back and won. But they asked him, like, so what What made you all, like, decide you want to play and, and step it up and come back? And they were like, yeah, Kobe was talking shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. was like, look at y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew y'all couldn't run with this. And he kept attacking us again. Yep. I think that some um, of that's lost, man. Some of the trash talking is kind of lost to an extent in today's game. Right, and but it's also like the intensity of the Kobe Bryant's and yeah. Kevin Garnett's, where it's yes. like we either don't want to let them down, yep. or like we really want to beat them. Yeah, that we don't have as much anymore. Yeah, that's I think that's the biggest one is that the new. This is not to criticize the new generation, but they there is more of a. Yeah, you know, can't we all just get along by and large? Not that everyone does, but it's just like, as opposed to. It might be a crazy critique of the older generation, honestly. Yeah. It could be a critique of, yo, if Steph King Lockman was like, yo, we winning this game straight up. Yeah. I know y'all here to, to do windmills and whatnot, but we winning this game. That's true. Then that'd be it. That's if LeBron true. said that, that'd be it. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron is. Uh, that's the yeah. the one place where LeBron is not Jordan is that one place where sometimes LeBron's like, hey, you know, I'm just here to have fun. And Jordan's like, what is fun? If we're not winning, I might punch somebody. So... LeBron came out in the fourth quarter, started <laughs> slapping the floor. It'd be a different game. Yeah. He's not oh, yeah. doing that. And I understand why he's not doing it. Right. But I think the young the young cats will respond. They're learning yeah. from, yeah, That's the generation exactly. in between. Yeah, that might be fair. I think maybe... And that's why I said I could try to pinpoint it. Where I would pinpoint it is when Kobe Bryant retired. And I, I, I try not to do too much mythologizing, but he was the last. And, and, you know, Kevin Garnett, but he was probably retired a little bit before. I forget the timeline. But, like, they were the last of that just crazy intensity, no matter what generation. And the whole, like, it's just an all-star game. If I'm on game. the floor, like, that's how I'm playing. It doesn't yeah, matter it's just, the context. Right. It's just like, it's just, an, it's just an all-star game. It's just like, I don't care if it's a gym in Philadelphia and no one's watching. I don't lose to anybody because that's just how I operate. So there's just a lack of that potentially. 
when it comes to All Star Game, and and yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap. It's just like it, it maybe it's the generation in between, and the young generation is is watching from them, and they operate a little bit differently. Um, and again, I, I get why it's a long season. You do just kind of want to break, um, but there's a there's a balance. We could still strike a balance. Fuck, KG doesn't play anymore. They asked him. I think it was a Richard Jefferson's podcast. He's like, do you hoop anymore? He's like, no. They're like, why? It's like, because I only play one way. Yeah. And I fight. And <laughs> yeah. there's only so many times I get thrown out of LA Fitness for fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's what it is. That's you either play like that or you don't. Right. There's either that. Like, there's there's some people who are just like I got one speed here. Um, that's how that's how I'm wired. Yeah. Yep. LeBron LeBron's greatness might need to be like part of his greatness is. He can do both. He can turn it on and be like, "I'm at, I will. I'm here to destroy everything and everyone." And he can also be like, "This is just a game, and I live an amazing life." And like he, I think his ability to do both might be part of his, yeah, you know, the the in between the ears greatness of him is that balance of a killer, but also like. But I'm also LeBron, and my life is is awesome. Yeah. So like, if if it if I don't win this game or this title or this year, am I really gonna like kill beat myself up over? Nah. Bigger, there's bigger things. So it's an interesting like psychological discussion in that sense too. But let's get to uh let's get to football. Let's let's get to some some college football Saturday All Star Saturday night. I mean, uh, it was the wackest dunk contest ever, and I think the three point shootout has maybe replaced the dunk contest in terms of drama which is says so much about where we are today it does right it really does it's the whole proliferation of the three nobody like where the people who go and want to yam on on people these days um and the star is not i'm gonna single-handedly blame lebron james for the reason that stars of this generation don't do the dunk contest because there's so many good dunkers who are stars. Like, why isn't Anthony Edwards in the dunk contest? And I know, like, there's just there, there, he is the the he's best. Too cool. He's the That's best. Why. He's the best American player in the league. The future of NBA superstardom for for this country. All the best. I don't know if people realize this. All the best players in the league are not from America. Not you know, I'm not being a a uh, Zionist here, but it just it, you know. It, it, it he should do the dunk contest. I know John Morant's hurt, but John Morant has yet to do a dunk. He John Morant should do it. Should be Anthony Edwards, John Morant. Uh, who else really great dunker star level that I'm thinking? Like, I guess Donovan Mitchell's done it already. Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, well, uh, Zion Williamson. Zion has never done one. Granted, he could never stay healthy, so I he's got that built in excuse, but Zion. Ja, Zion, Anthony Edwards, you know, throwing a couple other names. Um, like that should have been happened. So the boy on um on Houston. Oh yeah, Jalen Green, get him in there. Like, yeah, we, we should have been had. We should have been had that. John Collins. Should have been, yeah. This guy can keep going. Yeah, we should have had and John might have done one, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. But Jalen and I don't think Jalen Green did, but he should have. Jalen Brown waits till now to do one. Wimby replicate Dwight Howard, like touch the top of the backboard. I, with the ball. I was gonna say, I wanted to see Wemby just like, yeah, Wemby run up there and just like do a windmill, but don't jump. 
just like do do the stupidest like looks like a video game NBA 2K dunk where you're not even leaving the ground jump and over just, a tractor <laughs> yeah like please put a basketball who on top of the basketball who did Dwight do? He did uh, like a fifteen. He did a little. He put he put the uh, the Nerf hoop at the top of the billboard, measured it at the top of the backboard, measured it up. I forget what it is, is like thir thirteen feet or something. Yeah. yeah, and then he went up and tap tapped the little ball into the hoop <laughs> and then dunked the the regular one. But yeah, we could keep going, but it's just like the dunk contest is, you know, when you know it's dead, when they're like, we need a G League player to save us again, Matt McClung, take the cape off, get back out there and save us. Because if not, we're just going to have whack-ass Jalen Brown. Anyway, let's get to football. Everyone <laughs> doesn't want to lose to Matt McClung. Yeah, that's the thing. No, no why, lose why, why doesn't Anthony ever participate? Because he'll lose to Matt McClellan and never hear the end of it. Um, yeah, because you very well might, because his thing is he dunks. Like, that's kind of his thing. Um, all right, let's go football time. Weekend was four out of ten. They got to they gotta fix this. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Four might be – I didn't even watch the Rising Stars, so – uh, four might be a a high grade, just from what Point I saw. Ten was purely the Steph Curry Steph, shootout. Steph Curry and uh, Sabrina that was it. That's yeah, all the points. Like, that's that's uh, they get the four points on their own. Rest of the weekend <laughs> over. Um, we'll talk more NBA as the season comes down because we got a. It'll be an interesting, I think, playoff for sure. So we'll get our NBA talk on. But let's get to college football. We had some coaching updates I want to hit before we get to some. I don't know, more recent headlines, but all in the span of what felt like 24, 48 hours as all these things happen now because of transfer windows and hiring and recruiting. So just because of all the stuff, it's just like as soon as one move happens, the the next one has to happen like that, right? So Chip Kelly... Well, let me all right, let me let me start. Oh, uh, that's right. We haven't right, talked about this yet. Start. Yeah, we haven't talked about this yet. So I have to start here. Bill O'Brien leaves, and I might have mentioned this on the uh, the last podcast. I might have mentioned this, but I know I edited the end where we maybe talked about it. But at some point, y'all definitely heard me say Bill O'Brien will fail his way into a head coaching job, right? I didn't know where, but that's just the life of Bill O'Brien. It's it's the inequity of coaching that we talk about, where the retread of certain people who look a certain way. Gotta keep getting to fail and try again to fail, try again to fail, try again. Whereas the black coaches, you better get it right, kind of right off the bat, because you might get one other chance after that, maybe. And if 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 you fail, then that it's pretty much it for you. You're just gonna coordinate for the rest of your life, bounce around, but that's pretty much how that one goes. So Bill O'Brien. Doesn't I don't when's the last time and I'm taking out the Alabama his stint at Alabama because every offensive coordinator at Alabama guess what they're awesome all of them they're never not awesome it, something there seems to be more Alabama less who's the coordinator um, but take away the Alabama stint Bill O'Brien hasn't really been an inspiring head coach since the Texans 
of 2014. It's the Obama administration. <laughs> like, like Trump wasn't, yeah, Obama yeah, like Obama was president last time Bill O'Brien was a coach that you would look at and be like, that's a good coach. So that's 10 years we're talking, right? He's had these other jobs. He's coordinated. He's done stuff. But and at, it, it's been 10 years since he has inspired you or at least inspired me or us or these you know, teams as head coach as a candidate. <sighs> Failed all the way, failed, went back home to Bill Belichick, the New England situation last season. Everybody there failed, um, and he got to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Ohio State right now is, on paper, the team – I'm going to say this. On, on paper, the team to beat next year in college football, on paper. Especially if you're talking about the coaching hiring, like all they they are what Michigan did to Ohio State, like by winning the championship, Michigan has created an even greater monster potentially. Ohio State's been great at football for quite some time. Now Michigan has won a championship. Ryan Day rolled up his sleeve and said, "I'm a recruit. It's like, like this what is, you I'm a this is, got you the guys, fans of cash yeah, ready. You guys thought I was recruiting before? <laughs> yeah, like get the Brinks trucks ready." I was like, goodness uh, gracious, like, how many five-star corners? All, can I want get? all of them. All of them. <laughs> I want all the corners. I want the best receiver anyone's ever seen. I want all the quarterbacks in my room. I want every coordinator. All right. So they got Bill O'Brien and that as a coordinator hire was like, all right, like, you know, he just had an awful showing with the Patriots. But <clears throat> give him play calling duties with this Ohio State team. That'll probably work out, right? Like, he'll probably have a measure of success there. We don't even get to find out because the Boston College coach leaves to be the tight ends coach, or no, D coordinator, sorry, for the Packers, right? That, to me, is a promotion. It's certain college head coaching jobs to an NFL position coach, maybe I might say demotion or lateral move. But Boston College, like, it's Boston College, all right? If you're going from Boston College to an NFL coordinator, that's a promotion. You agree there? Boston College head coach to NFL coordinator, probably. With the Packers, I mean, specifically. You... Green Bay Packers defensive yeah. not not the not washington or or like not some yeah you're doing, you're doing a playoff team yeah like a, a playoff a, or, team with a young franchise quarterback yeah and a young defense schools and circumstances matter that's what i'm say saying straight up it's a promotion correct like circum I'm, I'm saying in this <sighs> not all college to nfl moves am i saying are promotion some might be lateral some yeah. might be a demotion for me this is a step up the head coach at Boston College sure. or defensive coordinator, I think it's a step up, right? Like, I think he could find his name in bigger and better circles if he does well as the coordinator with the Packers sooner than, like, what level of success would he have had to have with Boston College to be in those same conversations? If Jordan Love throws for 4,000 yards next season, he's going to get a head coaching offer somewhere. That's well, he's the reality. A D, but he's going to be D coordinator, I believe. I believe. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So... If, you know, if they're defense, like if they Still. just, you know, our boy stands. Yeah. But he, I think that is a upgrade, right? 
I think it's the defense that he was able to to corral sharp yeah, and Jordan. He's Love going and to his, he's going to a, a good defense or just a good organization that knows how to run a team, right? So whereas Boston College is like you need to run this thing. Like the success of our program is based on how good you are individually at the recruiting, the coaching, the all of it, right? Assembling the and staff. That's a tough, yeah. uh, that, and that's a tough job up there at Boston College. Um, especially in an expanding ACC. It's even tougher. I mean, we've talked a lot about Syracuse. Where would you rank Boston College in relation to Syracuse? Better job, worse job, about the same? Yeah. Um, slightly better. So I would, I would rate it. I, here's why. Syracuse is still, even as they are less so, Syracuse is still a basketball school. Boston College is not a anything school. So when their football team is good, I mean, I, maybe they're good at baseball uh, or hockey. I'm sorry. But the, the, when they're... No disrespect. No disrespect. When Boston College... And I'm sure they are good at one of those two sports. But when they're I'm sure football, they have a banging lacrosse team or something. Yeah, ice hockey. When, I'm sure they're good, yeah, I'm sure they're good at hockey. Uh, when their football team is good, though, like that's that's their sport. That's their that sport is the the one that's going to be out in front for them. It's probably a just a slightly easier recruit recruiting sale. Like you want to live like I don't have any that many positive things to say about Boston. But um, Boston versus Syracuse, you got a little bit more of a restaurant, nightlife, city in Boston. Less so in Syracuse. Plus you have like at least a dozen other colleges. Yeah, there's a lot more colleges around. Um, You know, train station being right there. You take a train very easily to New York, take a train easily down Jersey, Philly, where you're you're pretty even all the way down to Baltimore. Like they kind of recruit down as far as as there. So I would say it's slightly better job. But um, Bill O'Brien going there to me to to be the coach, I was like, I don't. He just strikes me as an NFL head coach more so like i just i i don't i don't i don't know how good he was going to do at the especially today's college i just don't know how good he was going to be at the recruiting working portal nil and then the on-field staff building and all that i just you know i i hasn't had to do it in a while so i wasn't sure that Mm -hmm. was a great hire um We'll see, right? Like, because I think him, Bill O'Brien, leaving Ohio State coordinator to go head coach at Boston College, that's a step down for to to me. <sighs> like, I know you're a head coach now as opposed to a coordinator, but how long was he going to really realistically be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State? If he had, if they had, <laughs> if they had a good season or two, right? He was going to go use that parlay at something else. But now, as the head coach of Boston College, max. at the head coach of Boston College, what are what are we talking here in terms of like is are is Boston? If you're Boston College, not us, not me and you. If you're Boston College, are you expecting a long term future with with Bill O'Brien as your head coach? Because, I mean, 
I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't see it. I, I, all the only way I see this happening is he does well. He uses that to boost to another job. He doesn't do well and you got to move on from him. Like I don't see. And, and what is well, was he going to contend for the ACC eight wins, a, a nicer bowl game? Like I just, what is, and I, I don't know how much they're paying him. I, I'll look it up, but I don't, this hire makes no sense to me. For a number of reasons. I mean, I think they're going for Estab- the biggest name. Established that they NFL name brand find. man. He was recently coaching in New England, so maybe that brings some additional allure to people in the area. Yeah. I... But who who else are they gonna <laughs> hire? Because it's not it's not a great job. So what's he going to do? Like, is he just going to, like, all the Patriots fans in the area, young Patriots fans are going to want to go play at Boston College now? Like, I just don't, I don't know. Like, but, like, here, here's why I'm down on, he's going to make his base salary is $5 million, uh, at Boston College. Um, That's generous. So, there you go. Um, well, that's right there. <laughs> I'm making $5 million at Ohio State. So yeah, that's that, what we- that's there's there's a reason from from his standpoint. Look, I get I get him. I guess I should say I definitely understand him taking the job more than. But I just think it's a I think it's a bad move. I just don't think it'll work out. Here's why. Let's get to the next domino. So, Bill O'Brien leaves. He's at Boston College it can be, now. Last thing I say is that yeah. it could be one of those jobs where it's like like a Kentucky or something. Like I can I can go eight and five on average across five years and be great. Because this last time Boston College won eight games. Didn't they just win eight games this year? Possibly. Right, weren't they weren't they right around <laughs> it? <laughs> I feel like I feel like this year they were right around it, which is why I'm like But nobody was calling for his job. What though. are they? Yeah, no, exactly. But I'm just like, what do they think the ceiling is at Boston College? Right? I'm just like, you You're gonna find a quarterback better than Matt Ryan? Like that—that that was their best year. What they win that year? Nine. They—they they threatened to win ten games. I feel like one of those years, if I'm not mistaken. That's probably the ceiling. They had that. Um, they had that running back. They had a few running backs that were really good. They did. Um, did he play when uh, Herslick was there? Who? Uh, Mark Herslick. No, I think he was under Adazio. Okay, so I know. Wasn't uh, wasn't it Luke Keekley? Yeah, but Herzlick was before Keekley, I think. I think it was Herzlick then Keekley, because he played with uh, Kev Pierre Lewis, who went to 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 our high school, to my high school. Um, at the same time, he was there with Keekley. Uh, yeah. So, all right, that's Bill O'Brien side of it. Bill O'Brien, Boston College. We'll maybe talk a little bit more about that. The opening at Ohio State then. Ohio State, who, like we mentioned, they're on a mission. They're recruiting every best player, every best coach. They're assembling the Avengers of, of college football, essentially. Just like they cannot allow Michigan State to – or Michigan to control – Andre Williams. The, the fate of the universe. Uh, Andre Williams, good call. They cannot allow uh, the fate of the universe to rest in the hands of Michigan. Especially, I bet you it stings even more that Harborough won and dipped because now they don't even get to get their vengeance against Harborough. Um but and AJ Dillon. Okay, I'm done. That's oh, all about yeah. AJ Dillon. Yeah. 
that's and that they didn't win. That was probably eight, seven, eight win. You know, that's where Boston College is going to live. Yeah. They're going to live at seven, eight, maybe nine wins. That's you know, like unless something crazy happens. Um, so the opening in Ohio State now coordinator to me, they they upgraded. They like Bill O'Brien taking the job from Ohio State standpoint. Bill O'Brien taking the job at Boston College, awesome. They get to bring in Chip Kelly now. Chip Kelly gets to do what Chip Kelly loves, which is Chip, just focus on offense. You don't just gotta, do offense. You don't got to recruit. No yep. nil. No nil. Don't, don't worry mm-hmm. about the flying kids around. No boosters. Don't worry about boost. Don't worry, about Chip. Just you don't have get, to get talk in your to people lab. And build relationships. Yeah, get in your you don't lab. Have to be kind to people. Nope, just get in your lab. Do what you do and and do offense and make no mistake about it. Chip Kelly is still one of the most forward, brilliant offensive minds in football. The whole country is still like running his stuff, basically. Like the stuff yep. that he helped innovate coming out of New Hampshire all those years ago before he got to Oregon. The, the whole country in college football and a lot of the NFL now, as it were, is just running Chip Kelly stuff, right? Chip Kelly failed at a lot of other aspects of coaching, but what he's always been good at is offense. That, to me, Ohio State's already been the forward, ahead-of-the-game, offensively team in the Big Ten. You add Chip Kelly now and tell him just to focus on offense with all these five-star players, these amazing quarterbacks, all this stuff that they got going on. I I, I got to say, if I'm buying stock, you better buy your Ohio State stock now because they they look like they're putting something together that is going to be really formidable at least for the next year or two like the 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 vacuum of maybe Nick Saban leaving and people wondering what's Alabama going to be uh can Georgia do what Alabama did which is stay at the top for this long are other teams going to get to come up here and play now in the 12 team playoff just Ohio State's kind of always been up at the top and it seems like they have zero intentions of going anywhere um so just it, the the chip kelly hire for them i think is a home run like bill o'brien leaving and then bringing in chip kelly that's awesome yep yep agree nothing substantive to add um i know they also have a past history i think ryan davis is quarterback mm-hmm. um when he was in college um and then also worked under him for a few years at new hampshire i believe so Ryan Day's been wanting to do this. They finally have the opportunity. So yep. uh, I'm sure it's going to pay dividends. Yep. So that one in the books, which leads to – don't need to recruit, which is also good. That's huge because so he, was, he, was, he was anti-recruiting and he was anti just like managing and working NIL. Like he didn't want to do all that stuff. And uh, it showed at UCLA, which leads me to the most exciting hire. Maybe – maybe the whole – off season for me and i will explain why deshaun foster is one of the first college football players that i remember watching and being like i like this college football thing right the early mm-hmm. was that like 2000 2001 ucla that team um he was incredible right so just as a player one of the best running backs still to date that I've ever watched at the college level. Speed, could catch a ball at the backfield, shifty, strong, just like 
total back when running backs what mattered. you want what yeah. all the things that you want <laughs> back when running backs matter he was the perfect running back um and then had a went on to have a good career at the nfl as well panthers appeared in the super bowl might have did he score in that super bowl if i'm not mistaken i think he even scored a touchdown in said super bowl um but him going to ucla or being now named head coach, he's been running backs coach there. Him being named head coach at UCLA, I think is a huge, huge, huge deal for their program because it's a big deal for their program and it's a big deal, big picture. And I want to get in the big picture after this. But for their program, he's a recruiting savant. He knows the area. He knows the program, obviously. He is somebody who's been credited with a lot of the better recruits that UCLA has gotten in recent years. They credit him being behind kind of the scenes of a lot of their recruiting efforts. Um, he was a guy that everyone on the team in the area was wanted to really get this job. So just a general, a hire that immediately you get excitement from, from the players, yeah, from people, the fan people base, love him. like a, a beloved figure of a program coming back to a, a, a program that's kind of like, in a bad way needs like the chip kelly hire was them taking like, a shot at like we need something here like we can't we're behind usc and we're behind oregon and now washington and now utah and now like as the pac-12 got stronger before it disappeared and dispersed to different conferences ucla i mean they were thankful to get into the big 10 when they did but now the thing is we're about to go to this you know power you know second most powerful conference we we need we need to up our game here. Like we can't be going in and 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 embarrassing ourselves and losing our way uh, as we join. So this hire is one that needed to be like received well off the bat because they're they're in the Big Ten now. It's a new conference. Uh, yeah, Arizona's better. Like all these teams are better than them. Like UCLA is really falling. Oregon, Oregon State, Washington. Like a lot of these schools, UCLA is looking around, and they were just losing recruiting battles. These other schools were coming into their backyard, taking talent elsewhere. Um, Deshaun Foster is essentially there to stop that, to keep as much, you know, in California talent, in-state talent uh, between them and UC, USC, whatever USC can't get there. They're trying to win more of those battles. And I don't know as much about, you know, we'll see about his coaching style, how he wants to play. You figure running back is going to be, uh, you know, want to get some type of a running game established, but they do have a pretty good quarterback. Um, but I'm just excited about the hire from a UCLA standpoint. I feel like that's kind of their outlook on it. But big picture, this kind of gets into what we were talking about last week or what I, you know, I'd reference like the the groundswell or the movement that we might need to see to get more black and brown coaches these looks and hired and legitimately like being considered as candidates, not just filling check marks on a on a list to say that you looked at someone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is if you have the younger former players closely tied in on the pro level too. Like I said, D'Amico Ryans and Dan Campbell, but like tied into the program or the lifeblood of like what playing this sport is a player, like a guy that your teammates can look at or the team looks at and is like, that guy played. I know that I could go watch clips 
of that guy playing. It's not my coach who played in the eighties and seventies. And we, you know, no, like we could go to YouTube, type him in. He's right there. Like he, because YouTube was around. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's younger. I can see him. Like his words might carry a little bit more, more of what you would say is a culture setter. These players, I think what they can do right away is come in and set culture of like a, a winning culture in a football team, right? Players who have been there and won and know what it takes if nothing else, they can come in. You saw with Antonio Pierce. He came in and immediately with the Raiders, culture change. Just no talent difference. No, no, nothing has changed personnel-wise, but culture change. What it feels like to come into this building every day and go to work and go to these meetings, change. Like that matters so much. And no knock on Chip Kelly, but he's not a people person. Like it, it might be fun running his offense, but I bet you it's not fun that like going to his meetings or his practices. Like he's he's not here for fun. Like it's just not it's not his thing. I think you're looking at Sharon Moore. You're looking at Deshaun Foster. You're looking at Major Applewhite. You're looking at just these former players, more closely removed from the game, who can build staffs around them who know how to recruit, who are more, can speak the language of these kids. I think the more you see those types of hires and the more success they have, the more you'll see other schools be like, all right, well, who's like, who's our most recent quarterback that we could go, or who's the running back that we should like, I, I think maybe that's what it will take. So I'm rooting, I'm here to put it out openly, rooting hard for Deshaun Foster, Jerome yeah. Moore, like all the, all the coaches, the younger former players, especially the black ones, now getting these opportunities. I yeah. am rooting for their success because of what I think it could and should lead to. Yeah, no, that's that's well said. I mean, what you're saying, I think, is exemplified with what players were saying um, with Antonio Pierce and mm -hmm. contrasting that with, with um, Josh McDaniel. Mm -hmm. I mean, time and again, I read quotes saying, yo, like, Josh McDaniel knows what he's talking about. Like, the schemes and things like they 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 make sense. They're very innovative, but like they hated coming to work. Coaches yep. did, players did. They hated going to practice. The long hours, the way that he talked to them, and just having a, a fresh voice that made it made it fun again, made it enjoyable to do something that you already are predisposed to want to do. You're a football player, yeah. so I think that that matters a lot. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on in this specific segment was um, a lot of what I'm hearing about UCLA is that. Despite whatever difference in recent success and prestige, the vibe out there seems to be that doesn't explain why UCLA has so underperformed in football specifically. Yeah. They have, they're in a talent rich area. They have resources. They're a little behind as far as like applying them, but like, there's That's no a, reason why UCLA yeah. can't be a premier football program, given everything we know about the school. Right. And so they're really looking to like catch up because they have grossly uh, underperformed recently, and a lot of it by their own admission. Even USC's had like a mess of athletic department for the last ten years almost. Mm -hmm. They've still been able to have more success than UCLA has, and there's yeah. no there's no reason for that. But that's what they think. Yeah, I think a part of it, like you said, the mis misapplied resources, UCLA has admitted to that. Um, 
USC, I think what USC probably, because you're right, they're not too dissimilar. Um, what I think USC is still living off of is Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, and in those days, Pete Carroll, and those teams. I think there's still a residual heat from that era because... Which is almost 20 years ago. It is, but that UCLA doesn't have that. Like, to, for UCLA, you got to go back to the early 90s, right? So yep. I, I think as as they, they're both ancient at this point in that in that sense. But again, maybe it's just a simple case of Reggie Bush's YouTube tape is still on, uh, or highlight tape is still on YouTube, right? And, and Matt Liner is doing the Fox pregame show every day. Um, and so, like, I, I, I Pete Carroll is... This was an NFL coach who, you know, maybe is still far removed from that. But I do think there's just like uh, the the national brand, right? Where did LeBron James kid go? And that's the basketball side of things. But I think that the national brand and UCLA is a more prestigious basketball. But I do think there's something to be said. The national brand for the football side of things is USC is the more is still number one. And that's UCLA. That's going to be Deshaun Foster's like biggest um, hurdle. I think is can you start to steal recruits from USC? Right? If you can start to now, recently, I don't know if the recruits are not good or if it's just Lincoln Riley's inability to care about the other seventy-five percent of football. But I don't know. Do you want UCLA USC's recruits? Because that means you're a bad defense and don't have an offensive line or a running back, and hope you just hope that your quarterback's really good. So to an extent, uh, you need to be getting the recruits that Oregon are getting because Oregon's the one that's coming into California and stealing all the good players. Maybe like, I mean I don't know that <laughs> USC's defense is bad because they're devoid of talent either. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe you want the USC recruits and just a, a coach that cares about the other 75% of the game. Um, we'll we'll see. But that that's going to be the game, right? Can you can you out recruit USC? Because USC is still bringing in better recruits. So can you out recruit USC? Uh, can you stop Oregon, Washington, Utah? Can you stop those schools from coming in and taking your talent? Um, so that's and the national brands because Ohio State goes to California, right? Too. And Ohio State, Michigan goes to and California Michigan, too. and Florida, Florida State. goes to California, too. yeah. Uh -huh. So, like, not only the, the the schools that are close, but like, yeah, Ohio State and Texas, and Florida State and Florida and Michigan, yeah, like those everyone's gonna come to California. So, you have to build something there that wants that kids want to then stay local. Um. And that's going to And start. there's an opportunity because part of the yeah, criticism of USC has been high school coaches are like, they think they can just be USC and we're going to send our kids there. And it's like, no, they don't. They don't actually cultivate relations with us. Yeah. They don't come to our schools. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a huge opportunity to go in and say, we, we can be the school for the LA area, for California, for Southern California. Uh, we didn't even mention Colorado. Well, I was gonna say, how you think? How do you think Arizona got so good, or UNLV? Like, mm -hmm. you know, these even mm -hmm. those schools that people don't think about right away, like Jeb Fish. Where do you think all those players came from? Why do you think UNLV all of a sudden won ten games, like, and are building you know multi million dollar uh, stadiums and facilities at UNLV? Like, those players are coming from Cali, so <laughs> it's it's a it's it's a talent rich area, but you have to 
established much like Miami back in the days of the state of Miami where they would go all yeah. the way up to Orlando down to Miami block that off and say no we have to win this like we're not going to win everybody win we, we have to yeah we have yeah yep it was just from Orlando south to to Miami right and it's just like we have to win this right where we can't get every recruit but no one can know these players better than us no one can have better relationships with them we have to win this so for them Westwood Cali they got to go probably all the way from Orange County on up or a little bit north of that all the way down to San Diego they got to take that two and a half three hour strip of of land they got to block that off and they got to start winning some of those recruiting wars which is tough because of all the schools and things that we just named but i think my bet though is if deshaun foster in your living room that's gonna matter it's i just i I like that it's him i just think they are they the hire was like with that in mind we who are we sending into these kids living rooms and i think yeah like chip kelly versus deshaun foster it's just uh it's just a different level of, of I think, enthusiasm, of authenticity, of a connection. Because you know Chip Kelly doesn't want to be there. He might want you to actually play for his team, but he'd rather not have to be in your living room right now. So we'll see. Speaking of facilities, if you have 10 minutes later on, we should we should talk about Rick Petito. <laughs> I, I would be happy to. Um, <laughs> final, final two coaching notes. Alabama lost Ryan Grubb to the Seahawks. That's not a small thing. Um, it was a big deal that he came over with Kalen DeBoer to Alabama. Washington tried very hard to keep Ryan Grubb before hiring Jeb Fish. So, yeah, Ryan Grubb, uh, you're on the fast track to to kind of something. Like, you're on the fast track to, to one of these NFL jobs, it would appear. Um, but I do wonder what impact that's going to have immediately on Kalen DeBoer and Alabama because it was part of next year is like, well, I don't really have to worry about offensively. Like I, I expected them to be better because they're bringing in these offensive minds. Now, I, I don't know if they've replaced him yet. And if they have, I'm not up to date on who they brought in, but, um, I did not see that. That one just came out of left field. So. Yeah, that I mean, how do you talking about college coordinator, NFL coordinator? I think in this case, th- this is I, I think if you're in Ryan Grubb's situation, I think I have to take them all case by case. So in Ryan Grubb's situation, right now, arguably best offensive coordinator in all of college, right? It got him a a offensive coordinator job on what I think is a still a very good franchise with the Seahawks. So Seattle, they hired the hottest young defensive coordinator to be their head coach in Mike McDonald. Hired the youngest offensive, like a hot young offensive coordinator to bring in to be the O, o coordinator, pulled them out of college. I think this is an upgrade because I think you know, Ryan Grubb, I think now he can get into NFL head coaching. Like if that's something he can get in NFL or college, like he can get into head coaching conversations quicker this way. Obviously he was already in them, right? He could have been the head coach of Washington, but I think now 
maybe money had something to do with it, but if he has NFL coaching aspirations, you're in a really good position to do so. I think like just making yeah. the, making the jump, being there already. Um, and again, team matters. So I think the Seahawks are a very well run, functional, stable organization. So I think that's a good. Went back to Washington and went to the pro side. I think that's a good move. Um, similarly, or let's just for my last coaching note, Michigan hired Wink Martindale, which I think is a really good hire. Wink Martindale, the Giants are going to regret that one. Wink Martindale is a good defense coordinator. I know he's blitz. He's a crazy blitz man. All he does is blitz, but he's still a very successful coordinator. I think that is um, uh, probably he's getting paid similar or maybe more to do it at Michigan. I am surprised that he didn't land somewhere in the league, but it is good for Michigan to have him on board. I think Sherelle Moore being an offensive kind of minded newer coach to have somebody like Wink Martindale, especially on the college level, like his aggressive style defense at college is going to confuse the shit out of a lot of quarterbacks. Like in the uh -huh. NFL, NFL quarterbacks, they're a little bit more graduated. They've seen it. A lot of these college kids, the Wig Martindale stuff, it's going to work. So uh, that's another, like, I think that is the counter move to what Ohio State did with Chip Kelly. The Wink Martindale defensive hires, kind of like the opposite chess move. So I, I love that. Uh, I love that hire for Michigan as well. I think scheme-wise, too, kids will be excited to play for a really aggressive defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean. And hopefully he gets along better with his head coach than he did with Ryan Day. <laughs> I think he will. Sharon Moore seems to get along well with everybody. I think that was uh, the more I read about him, he was being groomed to be the successor to Harborough for quite some time. And a lot of it had to do with just gets along well with everybody, like good on the recruiting trails, good in the athletic department, good in the coaching room. So good on Sharon. Is he ready to cry for Sharon Moore? Is he, yeah. Will he cry after Die Sharon gets Sharon. his first victory? When Jerome is suspended for the actions of uh, Connor the Stallions uh, three years later, when Jerome when when Jerome Moore has to sit down, uh, Wink Martindale wins as the interim head coach and cries for Jerome Moore. I just love Jerome so much right now. All right, let's get to ESPN. You saw this ESPN renewing the. Uh, or extending, I guess, the college football playoff deal. Yes, for was, one gazillion dollars. Yes, for infinite 100 billion gazillion dollars. Um, 7.8 bill for six more years. So extended through the 31-32 season. That's a 1.3 bill a year. And that's that, so, much. So, so much money. Firstly, uh, it's just so so much money. While while the players are in court now fighting to get, you know, to to can we stop these rules that don't allow us to negotiate how much money we're going to get before we get to a place? Can we like get those rules out of here, please? Um, while the players are having to do that, seven point eight billion dollar deals are being signed. One point three billion. I find a lot of things interesting about this, not the least of which the the deal doesn't get ratified until they figure out the format of the playoff in terms of 
it, at first, you know, the first proposal was once we extend to 12, it'll just be the power fives and then seven at-large bids. Problem is, there isn't a fifth conference anymore. I mean, yeah, technically there is. If I would love to just be like, whoever wins more between Washington State and Oregon State, automatically in. No matter what the record is, you win the Pac-12, you get a slot in the playoffs. The but, only right answer here is if you win the Sun Belt, to be if, clear. Yeah, the fifth the fifth conference now becomes the Sun Belt and seven at-large bids, including the Pac-12, or what used to be the Pac-12, now the Pac-2 West. Uh, we'll get to them. But I think it's wild that, A, they don't, uh, you know, the, the two schools that represent the Pac-12 are still on the college football committee board, and the, they still have to agree to how they're going to decide who the 12 teams are, right? Like the the conference bid situation. Um, and also, it, you know, it, I think there's like where the, the which bowls are going to host what. I think there's just a, there are a couple things that they still aren't like have not finalized. So this deal is not quote unquote ratified. It is, I guess, agreed to and not ratified. Um but I, it's so much money. Like it's just it's it speaks volumes that this is the one of the few things that's worth you know, one of the few rights television, especially for ESPN, right? Because that the 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 thing for ESPN is they now own every college championship except for the NCAA tournament. Like that, that all goes through ESPN now because they they got the it's women's wild. yeah they got the women's deal uh, the women's basketball deal done in conjunction with a bunch of other deals for like six hundred million something like that um, just recently. So between that and you know the college football locked in now, every college championship goes through ESPN, which good for them. Uh, but that's that's a wild deal and seven point eight billion dollars. That's for Disney, who they're going through some cut, even Disney right now is going through cost cutting. That just speaks volumes about the value of college football. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think the other wild thing about this, that I think has been underreported, is the what was the former Pac-12 member schools actually have a say in picking the Pac-12 now the Pac-2's next commissioner. Well, even though know, they're no longer part of the conference, we're gonna get to that if you want, because George Kilikoff is out. Right. He's he was the guy uh, who came in after Larry Scott. Larry Scott was the guy responsible for the worst media deal in the history of entertainment and professional sports, at least in the sports realm. I won't include all of entertainment in the sports realm. The Pac-12 network media deal was so bad that the conference has now dissolved in large part. Yeah, and he that, inherited a dumpster fire. So, his did, so yeah, so George Kilikoff came in and inherited that Larry Scott mess. And George Kilikoff had been in media for a while. He worked for MLB, he worked for NBC Universal, Hulu. Like he had been in media on that side of things. But this was a tall task to ask him to come in and fix just a really bad situation. And he wasn't able to fix it. They're moving on now. Teresa was not. He was like, he just wasn't, you know, it's not, I don't know that we could totally blame him. He tried, it didn't work. Immediately the crown jewels of his conference had already cut deals with other conferences by the time he got there or very shortly after he gets there. So I don't know what he was supposed to do, but he's out. 
Uh, Teresa Gould is in now. I, I don't know if it's interim or if they're going to pick her to go full time, but in conjunction this with the with the college playoff, right? Because now the 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 two pack pack two schools have their schedule set through twenty twenty five, right? With the West, with the Mountain West, and a couple other schools, like they have their scheduling set. But yeah, they get to now the 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 court ruled that Washington State and Oregon State are in charge of their conference. They do have a time frame where to be recognized as a conference, they have to get up to eight teams. Like they they have a deadline to do that. At which point, if they don't, they are no longer a conference. So they would then have to either find homes or you know, like yeah, find homes or merge or get schools to to join them to 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 rebuild a conference. But that all has to play out simultaneously, or they kind of want to settle that before they settle this college football discussion. And I don't know, like, I don't know that they're going to be able to, those timelines don't seem congruent or they don't seem to run together in a way that's going to be smooth. Like, it seems like we're going to arrive at a 12-team playoff uh, before the long-term future of the Pac-12 is truly decided. So since we're starting that next year and we don't know if the Pac-12, those two schools beyond 2025, we don't know what that's going to look like. I was initially wondering like what the, what the charge was, like, is it to rebuild this conference or is it just to steward the transition into extinction? Yeah, I, it's, that's, that's what we're going to find out. Um, They could take the money. They could take the remaining payout from the PAC 12 and look to go elsewhere and like pour that into their athletic department and, and look to join a new conference. Um, or you could see if enough schools from the Mountain West and, you know, I guess other conferences. I don't know. You could see yeah. if, if they would want Florida to. State. Yeah, Florida State. Yep. That, like at, at this <laughs> at, at this point, you, you have to stop thinking geographically and start thinking about business-wise, right? Like Florida State wants out. But uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Like uh, they have options for what they could do, but it remains to be seen what they're going to actually it's do. Just... What's what's your pitch to these schools? Because right. there's already a perception of a, a sinking ship, right? And you need member schools to negotiate better TV deals. Mm-hmm. So it's like, where do you go? What do you do? I don't see. I don't see a clear path forward <laughs> for the conference. Yeah, I I think it's more likely that they take the payout or that they you know that they take their last media rights money, put that into their athletic departments, and look to join another established conference already. Like at, at probably what at twenty after twenty twenty five. Because they already have their schedule for the yeah. next two years, and then after that, by then I, I don't. Yeah, what is your pitch? Who who's leaving a a current conference home to jump? Unless it's yeah, no, I don't. I don't see it. I guess uh, I I see those two teams getting absorbed by whatever this Big Ten SEC not merger thing is. That seems more likely than anything. Or the Mountain West expands, or the right. West expands. Um, yeah. So, 
yeah it's it's an interesting situation it's it's really um more so than i mean florida state it's very interesting too but like the florida state situation we kind of know okay here's the way that we know what florida state wants and we know so like we don't know it's necessarily going to happen or which way they're going to go about it but we know what they want with Oregon State and Washington State, just the, the the statements that are being put out are really general, just vague. Like we want what's best for collegiate athletes and to give them the best experience. Da da da. Like just very vague, broad statements. But so we don't actually know what they want, other than to find a sustainable source of revenue, right? To find a media rights partner. That's that is on that goes without being said. So how they go about that, though is will be interesting to watch and again the, yeah the, the 12 team playoff element of all of that in terms of the automatic bid and how the formatting of that and who gets to host what and what the payout structure amongst those teams are all that is interconnected to this in a sense so like that's the other interesting part yeah like you said it's like but even even if we know what people want. For me, the big question mark is, okay, we know what Florida State wants. Can a Tiger 12 deliver it? I just right. can't think of any schools right now we're going to the conference. Puts them in a better situation than they're currently. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm thinking Florida State makes sense, but that last part, what you said, of that puts them in a better situation than they're currently in. That part's not true for the for the for Florida State. Um and then I think about these other group of five conferences, those conferences are part like part of why the Pac-12 network failed is because of the strength and the growth of some of those other conferences, like a Sunbelt, right. like uh, uh, American Athletic, like some of those other conferences that that, get, you know, got better, quote unquote, at the time, which were seen as like. And, and I get it, but I also don't get it like they took the quote unquote safe deals locked in with ESPN. Um, uh, I guess Larry Scott was trying to be like a, a – I, I don't know. I don't know what Larry Scott I, – I need to do more research to try to figure out what Larry Scott thought he was doing with the Pac-12 network. But, um, yeah, it, it'll be – and I don't, again, Teresa Golds, who's now the interim commissioner, we'll, let's see if she is an interim or if she's who they go with long-term. And, uh, again – tasked with a really difficult um job here so this is back-to-back -back commissioners of a conference that are coming in and it's like you need to fix a mess that the person before you kind of got us in can you do that a bigger shout out ea sports finally dropped the trailer to the much anticipated college football return 2025 it drops this summer we back we, we back. are back we back, we We're back. Like, we back, we back, we back, we back, we back, we back again. It's been so long, like so, so long. Uh, the last time, I mean, I know it's been on the PlayStation for 2014 was the last time you could get the PlayStation one. I think the last time I played one on PlayStation was the one with Matt Ryan on the cover. So to go ahead and do Yeesh. the math, go ahead and do the math on that one. I think is the PlayStation Matt Ryan had a whole NFL career. <laughs> That's correct. Matt Ryan is now a retired NFL broadcaster. <laughs> So now that's sitting down with Cam Newton. Yep, that's, that's the last. We are. That's the last one I played. 
Um, and that, that'll let you know, because that means it was the year after he came out because they couldn't be on the cover in, in school. So it was literally Matt Ryan's rookie year in the NFL. So what, that's like 2008, I think, 08, 09, somewhere in that range. Last time I played one. Uh, but the run from 2000, and I started on the PlayStation 2 with the Chris, Chris uh, Winky, which was the first real one. I know there were some different versions before then, but that 2001 NCAA football, Chris Winky on the cover, that started the run of the you know one of the greatest game series ever. If obviously there's Madden, but then as far as football goes, the NCAA series is is right there, um, and it looks great. Like I, they have said that it will look as real as the Maddens, but it will play slightly differently, which I like because even back in the day, the games always had different playing styles. Um, all the way back on the PlayStation 2, right? Even when you could only make but so many differences between games. Playing styles of a Madden and a, and a NCAA football were different. The, hit, the hits were different. The playbooks, some of the graphic catches, like all of it, there's there some different mm -hmm. game gameplay. Mm -hmm. The jukes that you could pitch, obviously, was the biggest mind blow. The, the option in college football was just like next level stuff. Um, but I can't wait for this game to come back. I, I I only play sports games at this point and Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, the new one is coming out. I think between that and this college football game, these are the two most anticipated drops in, you know, video game, in my video game history. Um, unless Halo were to come back for the Xbox people, Call of Duty never really left. So I, I know that's big. But just like college football went away and there hasn't been a new Grand Theft Auto since the same year, 2014. So it's just pretty, yeah. pretty wild that um, it's coming back. Players can get paid now. Like all the, the shout out to Ed O'Bannon, who really started this whole thing back over again with his lawsuit against uh, EA Sports and winning back the name and image and likeness in video games and jersey sales and that yeah, stuff. So yeah. salute to Ed O'Bannon and uh really happy to see the game come back because I'm gonna buy the the new play whatever the newest PlayStation is by the time it comes out, if it's a five or a six, they might have a six by that. I don't know. But um I'm getting it just for Vice or just for yeah Vice City or the or the new GTA and uh and this and, and we're rocking all day. Yeah, this my I haven't played video games in years. This might be back into it though. Yeah, this was my this, favorite game by far. This was the one. I was like, if they, if they, if they want to make the two K version of NCAA basketball like they used to, not that I care about the uh, men's game, but if you wanted to do both sides, put the women and men's game in there, those two K basketball games used to be lit. But um, this was always it for me. And in tradition of this, I think at some point we might have to do a, uh, we might have to do like a draft of the all time greatest. NCAA football players, like just in terms of the game mm. themselves, like who was yeah. just who were the best players to play with in the game. Um, so I think we could do a whole segment on that. We'll save yeah, that. Sure. We'll save that for when we need some content. We'll end. Uh, we'll start to wrap. I only got a couple headlines left here. I want to see. Uh, I got one here. Here's a question for you. Only two Big Ten teams have signed five-star recruits out of high school in the 2024 class. One of them is Ohio State, as we know. Yes. Who is the other one? The new Big Ten? 
the current, yeah, Big Ten as it will stand this season going into it. So all teams in the new Big Ten. Who is the other school responsible for the other five-star recruits of the 2024 high school class in the new Big Ten outside of Ohio State? If you're asking me, that means it's probably not obvious. Because <laughs> I was going to say Oregon. Mm -hmm. It is not Oregon. Mm, not Oregon. Oh, is it Iowa? It is not Iowa, which would be great. Ah, uh, who is it? It is Nebraska. It's, like they it's Nebraska. Oh, the quarterback? Dylan Ray Leola. Yeah. And they signed, I think, another five star, which they, they took from uh, Georgia. Just, yeah, they flipped just, from Georgia. Yeah, they flipped Dylan Ray Leola from, from, from Georgia. And I believe it, maybe it's not another five star, but they definitely got another blue chip. But just I'm gonna point it out at every turn. If Matt Rule gets back to Nebraska and builds what Nebraska fans consider a winning, happy that they have it program before some of these other coaches, I'm just I'm just gonna laugh. I, I also looked up Mario Cristobal's record. Because I was looking at just like the new hires. Then uh, they were talking about Manny Diaz. Manny mm -hmm. Diaz. Manny Diaz was 21 and 15 when he got let go at Miami. What do you think Mario Cristobal's record is? So that was three seasons at Miami for Diaz uh, when he was let go, 21 and 15. Well, that too. We are we are two seasons into Mario Cristobal. What do you think Mario Cristobal's record is Miami is? It'd probably like 16 and 15 or something like that. He wishes. It's 12 and 13. So in two more losses, he will have the same amount of losses as Manny Diaz, and he's nine wins behind him. So uh, they are paying a lot of money for equal or worse results while they might have to watch Manny Diaz go to Duke, take a five-star, take a four-star. I don't know if uh, Murphy was a, was a five-star. But he might have been. He might have been, but they, they he, re, he, he reclassify you. Yeah, he, he might have transfer. He might have been. But still, he, he probably took, wasn't high school. Took him to do. And if he has similar or more success at Duke than Mario Cristobal could have at Miami, I think that will just be the most college football poetic justice that you could possibly have. Because they thought they could do so much better than Manny Diaz, and maybe they could, but they hired a guy who's not better. And that's just, I will never not laugh at it because they had so many options and so much money at the time to give to whoever. And there are so many good coaches now, and he's just not one of them. Yeah, it's like how many, how many, how much time do you give somebody? Because really, this is, this is it, but it's partly the is money. It? This should, okay. This will be it in terms of what the pressure and the noise will dictate when it's time to move on. If if he, especially if you're going to lose in the dumbest ways possible, like they did last year, right? This is, and then if you're, if the cherry on top of your season is getting blown out to Rutgers in a baseball stadium, yeah, then, then yeah, it, it might be. The, the, the thing is the money. He's got a huge buyout. And Miami does not have – they raised all this money for their NIL collective to get these players and to pay the big-name coach. They've 
paid the big name coach, or so they thought. I guess his name was big. They've got the players, which you can't really argue that they've had recruiting and transfer portal and NIL success, but the coach is squandering it. So you do have to ask, at what point do you have to just bite the bullet, take the money, I mean, take the buyout, find a cheaper, more efficient, but still talented coaching replacement because they are out there. Other schools have shown this. And, you know, just like you got to strike now because the longer you just stick with him and they're just a black ACC team like everybody else, um, the more it's going to be the next time around, like how are you going to replenish the NIL collective? How are you going to, what's the lore going to be? How are you going to ever become more than what you are if you don't move on it right now? Yeah, I think the the thing with coaches who recruit well is they can always say, especially that injuries, oh, we're just, we're about to turn the corner. Yeah, but how long can you, can you say that? And it's two, it's two coaches, both in the Florida, state of Florida right now, who it's Billy Napier and it's Mario Cristobal, who are going into year three, who we've been told, you just got to let us build. You just got to let us lay foundation. You got to give us time. Okay. Two years in, not a lot of progress on either side. You could actually maybe say mm-hmm. both teams took a step back in year two. So now you're looking at year three, like, to, to in my eyes, do you know the success that year three has to be for it to not be a conversation of what are we really doing here? And what where, where is there proof that in year four or five or beyond that our patience will be rewarded? Because I'm all for being patient if there are signs that there's a reason to be patient. But, you know, three, four years later, if there's no progress and maybe even regression, then what are we doing? Yeah. So this is a big year for Crystal Ball, for Napier. And conversely, I think year two for Matt Rule under the radar. Not, I don't think he's under an immense amount of pressure, despite going five and seven last year and losing a couple of games that they should have won. I don't think he has this amount, immense amount of pressure yet. And it's in part because, well, you just flipped a five-star quarterback from Georgia and you're landing these other recruits and you're doing well in the portal. And so it's like, that's the, that's the grace that Cristobal and less so Napier get afforded early on. But when the wins don't come, then it doesn't matter. You know, the all season discussions no longer matter. So I'm interested to see how much the winning Nebraska does next year. And then pressure is on schools like Miami, like Florida. I would say, unfortunately, because of how Texas A&M is, right off the bat for Mike Elko, they don't want to see him have a worse season than Jimbo Fisher. So he at least has to go seven and five, eight and whatever. So there's just some interesting new, or not new, but just some interesting like year three of or mostly year three second years when year is uh luke fickle luke fickle year this is year two for fickle so fickle and matt rule i think fickle matt rule and dion are all kind of an interesting year twos all different situations but i mean so fickle like wisconsin was more of a stable thing that fickle was supposed to keep stable and maybe improve on so we'll see that matt rule's rebuilding Nebraska Dion's rebuilding Colorado 
uh, Dion's almost strictly through the portal. Matt Rule, high school recruiting, some portal. Um, Luke Fickle, mostly portal. So it'll be interesting. Those are like the year two guys that I'm going to keep an eye on. But year three, which is more that make or break year, you got Cristobal, you got Napier. Um, is this this is year four for Mike Norvell, I believe, right? Yeah. The four for Norvell, because he was hired the year Dion went to Jackson State. That's four for Norvell. Um, um, yeah, four for Norvell. Who else is on? Mark, Brian Kelly, this is year three, right? That's an interesting one to watch. Mm-hmm. Just because he yeah, the, did some overhauling with his defensive side. So yeah. he needs to show some progress. In. And these are the types of schools that it's just like, you, we know that the leash is short. We know, like, you could say that that's an on, you know, two years, three years. It's just like, yeah, if the depending on the schools that we're talking about, like LSU, a Florida, like, uh, you know, a, a Florida State. Uh, yeah, like those schools, if you're not good right away, that sorry, like we're moving on. When you're battling perception, because what, how well do these folks expect to do, given what you inherited, and what do people perceive as the ceiling of the job? Yeah. So we've already talked about how there's a misalignment between Miami's expectations, how they've been performing the last 20 years. Yeah. Their expectations are based on 20 years before that. Right on a time on a, on a different time, but I guess you could say, well, they could look at other schools and say, and this is what I say, they should at least be better than insert ACC school that surpassed them here, right? Like, okay, maybe they're not the dominant dynasty, seven first round picks every year. Maybe they're not going to be that. But how did they get passed by Duke and UNC? And right, you know, like those, right. I feel like those are legitimate questions that they those are standards that they can hold themselves to to be like, there's no reason we shouldn't, you know, at least be that, at least be competitive. I mean, Texas A&M is just like, we have a lot of money, so we expect to be good. Correct. We don't really have any. Right. And like, that's the thing is like, now it's like, everybody's not, everybody's got the same, but now it's just like, well, everybody's got money now. Right. That's, it's like, you need money and you know insert other thing here because the money is just like that's the entry point that's the we're starting the discussion with how much am i making then it's what else are we talking about yeah i mean so we'll see i'm I'm a definitely proponent of you gotta let somebody's full recruiting class get and get settled mm. so i think four years should be the minimum ex- unless Unless it's just disaster. You're saying just like, like a nosedive. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's just a, a fail or a disaster. Of, that's well, it's just... not clear that you're actually building something. Right. Yeah. And that, I think rare are those situations where it's so bad right away, where I agree, where it's, or where it's just like it's obvious, yeah, so-and-so had to go. Usually I think a lot of these schools maybe pull the plug a little too quickly. Um, but, Yeah. I I agree. Three to four years. Depends on the schools, depends on the situation, what you're inheriting, how you're losing, where your strengths and weaknesses are. Are you improving on them? I just think you, know, you can go case by yeah. case there. But I do think it's a three or four year time frame is is kind of industry industry standard at this point. But 
amongst the ADs. I mean, that's that's also one of the, the consequences of an IL and a church supporter, though, is that yeah. there is an expectation that you can turn it around faster. Yeah. You know, overhaul, overhaul a roster more quickly. Yep. That doesn't work in coaches' favor who don't win in these areas. Yeah. Because so. people see what Dion is doing. People see, you know, for these coaches that just have immediate a level of immediate success, the goal is possible. Mm-hmm. But I think administrations fall into the trap of looking at the exception like the rule. Right. No pun intended. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dion's a one in one of one as it relates to Mm-hmm. Probably turning programs around and charisma and all these other things. So, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, definitely, we'll do. And then it's who's driving the ship in our season preview. On my base, is it the administration? Is it the board? Is it the boosters? Because mm-hmm. some of these groups have more patience than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, winning cures all. And when you're not, when you're not winning, you need to have as many other things to point to to support why you should remain as possible right so if it's not winning you need to be recruiting well if you're not recruiting well you need to be able to point to a string of successful coordinators that have been hired away and you just need time to get another staff in place if it's not that uh you just you need you need to the the less winning the more you need to point to other things uh but when you're winning then you know here's all so we'll do a season preview and i just focus on new coaches too or when we're doing all all these teams before this next season with all yeah, these like new, all these new coaches yeah with all these new coaches and we'll we'll we will get updates on kind of like where cuz it's 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 hard to keep track of in the off season with a bunch of other stuff going on who's really where and what so it's just like we we'll, we will lay all that out as the next season starts to pick back up one more thing before we get to Rick Patino we're going to end on Rick Patino Ricky P uh, the content fountain that is Rick Pitino. SEC going, uh, at least staying an eight-game schedule. This is kind of similar to the whole money conversation, but the SEC is having conversations about an eight versus nine-game schedule since the conference will be expanding, Texas, Oklahoma, other schools. Um, they are talking about Staying eight, it's going to stay until 2025. Again, this magic 2025 date. I guess everybody's doing things two years in advance, but they're going to stay until 2025. The argument or the desire, SEC for the ninth game is obviously money based. The SEC would want a different payout level if there were to be a ninth game. ESPN is like, no thanks, we'd rather not do that like there's a there's a way to prorate the agreement or the contract for their payout depending on the number of games and i guess the argument is what is the value of a ninth sec game what is the value of it to disney and espn as a property mm-hmm. what is the, what is the value of it to these schools mm-hmm. um so that is you know short little short little highlight but it's all these conversations about adding games, added revenue, the money, all these things. 
every time I see it, I just keep thinking about I can't. We got to hurry up and get the players unionized and to the collective bargaining phase phase of this already because all these decisions about all this money being busted down and all these rules and all these things being made uh, for the people who are making all the money and are the reason for all the content with them having no say. Like, it's just, it's going to stop. It's got to stop. It's going to eventually stop. But that's just all I think about every time I see this is just like, it's, it was, it reminded me of the NFL and them adding a 17th game and, you know, only for the two years after talking about player health and how important that is, but then we're going to play every Thursday and we're also adding an extra week. And so it's just, I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I it, it triggers a whole bunch of things, but um, we'll play more international games. Yeah. Not doing extra time off. Yeah. So from an, SC, multiple time zones. <laughs> from an SEC standpoint, I think the, the biggest thing people are concerned about or are interested in is how does it affect my school or my rivalry how are they going to shuffle through? So I think it's like the do each schools will get to pick a rival or maybe two rivals and then rotate all the other schools every four years or whatever. So it's it's all about scheduling if they do add that ninth game. Um, but yeah, it all to me just is like, can we just can we get to the part where the players are getting paid for all this already, please? Like NIL, NIL is not that. I know a lot of people think, what, there's NIL. It's like, that's not, nope. That's different. It's a NIL means I could go work, you know, I could go walk down the street to this auto parts store and say, I'll do an appearance for X amount of money because I'm famous in this town and people will come see me and you pay me for that. Okay. That's all NIL is. That's not the same as ESPN just gave us $7 billion for these games that you guys are playing in, but you can't have any of it. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like I fundamentally deserve a cut of all this. Correct. Because it's my labor that's producing this. Yeah. NIL is I'm, extra. I'm the one on television. Yeah, NIL is extra. It's what I negotiated. But you guys are negotiating television rights for content for a, a program. <laughs> and the you know participants of said program, i.e. the players, are the only ones not paid by the entities that are receiving money for said program. Just doesn't make any sense. It's like a job paying you just commission or just a bonus. Correct. Like, oh, we don't need to pay you a salary. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like no, you so you made you did good last week. You sold a lot of you sold a lot of candles. You're you're fine. Like you don't need any more money, and you definitely don't need health care or coverage or benefits. You certainly don't need that. Just keep selling those candles. Yeah. So that's all. That's yep. I, I brought that up to complain about the NCAA. That's a preview for next week when we just uh, when we we go through the NCAA and, and all their court courtroom uh, ventures. But we're gonna end on the funniest story since we last recorded the fountain of content that is Rick Pitino. I do not co follow college basketball, so I just had to read about it. Because I certainly wasn't watching St. John's play or anything, but um, why don't you go ahead and apparently walk no us, one is. Why, why don't you go ahead and walk us through what happened? Just because the quotes were uh, hilarious. Yeah, so St. John's had yet another game apparently because, like you said, I don't really follow 
college basketball closely. I watch Georgetown here and there when it's on. I don't plan to watch it or anything. Mm-hmm. And certainly not St. John's. So St. John's had another game where they started hot, were playing well in the first half. Apparently this is a pattern. Second half, yeah, oh yeah, turnovers. Sorry. It's a pattern. Missed shots, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and blowing a close game. Yeah, to Seton Hall, it, it we should we should note. Oh yeah, that's important. Even worse, exactly. even worse. Exactly. So my understanding is, <laughs> as this reporter's job, they ask like a pretty softball question, like, "What happened? Uh-huh. Y'all were up. Y'all playing well. What happened?" And instead of giving just a milk toast safe answer that's really a non-answer, Ruby's gonna go scorched earth mm-hmm. on his university and then on his individual players down to the man. Oh yeah, by name. By name. So unprompted he goes. Yeah, our facilities suck at St. John's, but that's not why we lost. And people were like, what? Why <laughs> <laughs> did you ask you about that? <laughs> but yeah, we have terrible facilities, but that's not why we lost. We lost because we're not tough. And I don't know the player's name. You basically like, I'll read you the I quotes. coach a certain type of player. I'll read the quotes if you like it. them. Our uh, point guard is slow. <laughs> yeah, I will read you the quotes. And my forward can't jump high. Please, please do, because the coach is even better than mine. Do we, do we have shitty facilities? Yes, we do. Having shitty facilities has nothing to do with not guarding. But I can't I can't argue that. That's that's very true. Not sure that again. Un- unprompted why he just took a shot at St. John's facilities. Uh Joel Serrano, slow laterally. He's not fast on the court. <laughs> Chris Ludlam, slow laterally. Sean Conway, slow laterally. Brad Dunlap, physically weak. Drissa Turo, slow laterally. This <laughs> Patino said that this team lost this season the way we recruited. The players don't align with how I coach. We recruited the antithesis of the way I coach with speed, quickness, fundamentals, strength, and toughness. It's a good group. They try hard, but they're just not very tough. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most hating. They try hard. Yeah, they're, they're nice, nice kids. They're nice guys. They're they just, they just really hard. They're just not good at basketball. That's that's, and I love that he said we've lost a season when I recruited these kids. That's really when all this went down the drain. Um, the unprompted takeout of their facilities, hilarious. I don't know if that's his way of trying to get more money into the facilities, but interesting. He saw what his boy uh, John Calipari did. Yeah, he's like, easy one. huh. I see Kyle Parry going after the football team. St. John's doesn't have a football team, but let me just try bashing our facilities and see where that gets me. So bashes the facilities, says we stink because of I recruited bad, and then proceeds to tell you this guy's slow, this guy's slow, this guy's weak, this guy can't jump, this guy's slow. I like athletes who are really good. You know what this was? This was Rick Patino's Larry Bird's not coming through that door. At St. John's speech, this was Chris Mullins not coming through that door. Ron Artest is not coming through that door. It's just, 
that's that's what that was Louisville version and um nobody told him to recruit these players that was apparently he got like 11 new players <laughs> as soon as he got there um and he don't Rick like you don't like not one of them. this roster he doesn't like not one of them 90% of your roster you don't like any of them does not like so the one of blame, them blaming players for not being the people that you picked, like this is this is a habit of his. We as full operational control of something, and then find ways to absolve himself of responsibility. Felipe Lopez is not walking through that door. <laughs> Coach, who? Mo Harkless is not walking through that door. Let's end on. I'd say we we're going to end over Patino. Real quick, you saw Dion was complaining about other coaches talking bad about him on the recruiting trails. Yeah. Does he not get – I've said this. I keep saying this about Dion. I don't think he understands how recruiting works. Talking bad about other coaches and schools is like 50% of recruiting, maybe more. Like convincing – it's gross, but convincing 17-year-olds that the other schools that are going to come – ask about them stink and aren't good. And here's all the reasons why that coach is lying and I'm not lying. And this, like that is half of recruiting. So I don't know like what his point was of saying other schools are talking bad about me in the recruiting trail. Like, of course they are. The other, you, you know what they said about Nick Saban? You know what they said? You know what they say about all these? Like that's how recruiting goes. Like that's the game. I feel like he is, I feel like he's learning the college football like recruiting game as on the job. I feel like he's learning the the crudent on the job. I mean, I think his thing is if I don't if I have these beliefs, not do things, other people shouldn't do them either. That's just not how the world works, right? Yeah. Forget that you think that's seedy and unprofessional or whatever, but it happens. It's going to continue happening. In fact, you could take it as a sign of respect that they have to go to negative recruiting to beat you out. Quite frankly, yeah. Because it's like, if you really think about it, before Dion got there, I don't think anybody sat in any living room anywhere and had to convince recruits that they wanted not to go to Colorado. Right. I think now you have recruits... They would just who, say, you're better, who, you're better than that. <laughs> ...who otherwise wouldn't consider going to Colorado, might now have considered going to Colorado just because Dion's there and now other coaches have to add Colorado to the list of schools that they have to trash when they're on, like just after we trash Nebraska and after we trash Oregon, then we're going to trash Colorado. Like I, it's, that's the game. And I get yeah, like yep. what you said of just cause you don't do it or just cause you don't think it should be done. Don't, you can't, it, it sounded like he was just from a moral high ground of just like, uh, you know, I, this is I'm I am judging people for doing this, and I I look at it like it's the game that you are in. You chose mm-hmm. you are you are in the game with these. It's like it's no honor amongst thieves. Like that's you you are in this dirty game too. You can be as honorable as you want, um, but it doesn't change the nature of the profession. Yep, he's gonna learn the easy way than the hard way. Yeah, yeah that's just that's just what it is. So. Right. Well, 
lot of headlines, but mostly just headlines. We're gonna do the NCAA versus law lawsuits. The whatever rule of will law. come up. The rule of law. We're gonna Against do that the Constitution. Next. And then I'm I want to do some kind of draft. Maybe we'll do our video game draft. Video NCAA players. So we might have that. Um, maybe we'll look back on a historic season. I want to do some type of different type of stuff because between now, I guess the draft will cover some of the draft, but maybe only the first round. But between now and once spring ball starts, unless it's just the NCAA and their lawsuits that are going to really be the main headlines, I'm not expecting much else. So we're going to have to spice up the content. Yeah, we, got, we got spring ball. Spring ball will give us a little bit of stuff to cover. That's starting in a couple of weeks. They're already out practicing. So that'll be here before we know it. We'll do first round draft coverage just because I think it's a really interesting year with the number of quarterbacks and receivers um, in the first round. And uh, so we'll do some of that. The combine, um, Iowa sent like 18 people. I remember I said they had the most people left in the playoffs at one point. They sent. 18 people to the combine this year or something like that. Maybe not 18. I forget what the number was, but they sent a bunch of people to the combine. Um, so Kirk Ferentz keeps working his dark, dark magic over there at Iowa um, and churning out big white guys who could play in the NFL and Cooper DeGene. Keep Cooper DeGene a corner. That's how we're going to end this one. Keep <laughs> Cooper DeGene a corner. And we will talk to you all next week. Peace now. Peace out, yeah.